Hello, and thank you for connecting with us here at Oasis Online. If this ministry is an encouragement to you, I would love to hear from you. Would you send me an email at pastor at obclv.org? I hope you enjoy the service today and that God would speak directly to your heart. Here, why don't we do this? We'll go to Psalm 100 again, and I'm going to give you a freedom just for a minute because you can't do it after this. Psalm 100, and let's read this passage real quick. It says, Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. And again, like I said, if you really do the study on that, it's going to talk of a joyful shout. So I'm going to give you an opportunity, and then you can call them back down because we are in church. So I'm going to give you an opportunity real quick to shout, and then we're going to get back down to business. Can we do that? Let's make a joyful noise. Can we do it? One, two, three. Hey, there we go. There we go. Now, don't say anything else the rest of the service so that uh, you can feel dignified in church. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Uh, like I said in the, just a few moments ago in welcoming everybody, I, I am, I'm really excited about this series. I've enjoyed studying it so far. And um, this morning we're going to jump into the, the idea of Jesus being the ultimate servant and uh, really, it's and in some ways, it can be like a continuation of last week's sermon on humility and everything that I kind of was studying. And as I was looking through things this week, it was really the 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 two of those humility and service kind of go right hand in hand. And in the studying, a lot of times it was he served in humility or or somehow tying the two together. Even if we were to go back to Philippians chapter two. Um, and look at that passage where we were last week, it made reference to Jesus coming in the form of a servant. And, uh, and so one of the things that's really awesome, and I'm going to have you, if you could, I'm going to go back to that, um, I think it's worthy as the Lamb, Nathan, the song. And, and I want to just kind of go through some of those lyrics, because here's what's exciting to me, is as we go through, and as, as we go through this song, and I don't know why I'm doing this other than it just jumped in my mind as I was sitting there. Thank you for the cross, Lord. Thank you for the price you paid. Thank you, bearing all my sin and shame and love you came and gave amazing grace. Thank you for this love, Lord, for the nail-pierced hands. Washed me in your cleansing flow. Now all I know is your forgiveness and embrace. And as we go through this, worthy is the Lamb seated on the throne. Crown you now with many crowns. You reign victorious High and lifted up, Jesus, Son of God, the darling of heaven, crucified, worthy is the Lamb. And here's what's amazing to me, and I'm not going to go through the rest of that, but what's amazing to me is this thought. We would sing a song like that, and we would shout it out, we would lift our hands, and we would praise how worthy He is, and it's the same God that we spoke of last week and we'll speak of today, who was the most humble and is the biggest and greatest servant of all. There's not too many times in our world today where we look at the greatest person or the greatest man or whatever we would want to place and we would put them up on a pedestal and say how great and how mighty that they are that we would also look at them and say that's the most humble person and that's the greatest servant that I know. Moses. (laughs) But we can also, when we look at Christ and when we look at this series, follow the leader We look at Jesus Christ and we can see all of these things in who He is. Which yet again brings us to that place where I was last week. There's a reason why I can follow this man, Jesus Christ. 
not only because he was the greatest, um, we talked a little bit about example in Sunday school, not only was he the greatest example of humility, he's also the greatest example when it comes to being a servant that we could think to, think to look at. And so as we are in this this morning, we're going to be, I'm going to start in John chapter 12, and this isn't going to be on the screen because uh, I didn't, I wasn't initially planning on doing this, but as I look at this idea, and we're going to spend most of our time this morning in John chapter 13, but as we look at the idea of Jesus Christ being a servant, if we were to go to John chapter 12, and if you have your Bible in John 12, I'll start in 23, and I'm just going to read a couple verses, but in John chapter 12 and verse 23, it kind of brings us into where we're going to be in chapter 13. It says this, And Jesus answered them, saying, The hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. And so Jesus at this time is basically coming to a place, and Jesus is understanding that what is about to take place as they're getting ready to go into this Last Supper is Judas is going to already, he'll be filled with with the devil, as it says in John chapter 13, and we'll see that. And he knows that that's about to take place where he is going to be given over to be a short time later be crucified on the cross. And so as we look at this passage, it says, Verily, verily, in verse 24, I say unto you, Except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. He that loveth his life shall lose it, and he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. If any man serve me, let him follow me. And where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this cause came I unto, the, unto this hour. Father, glorify thy name. And as we look at this passage of Scripture in chapter 12 of John, we kind of see Jesus basically kind of preparing himself for what we we know is about to come. Jesus going into the Last Supper. Then after that, Jesus being taken and being uh, arrested. and, And we know the story from there. We'll get into that later. But as we look at this passage of Scripture, we start thinking about the idea of Jesus Christ being a servant, going into the Last Supper, and we'll talk this morning about some of the idea of Jesus washing the disciples' feet. But before we do that, I want to I go to Luke chapter 20, 22, and I'm going to read some of the account of, of Luke, which is the same, basically the same passage, just in Luke's version. We see in Luke 22, starting in verse 7, is really the the Last Supper kind of beginning. And in verse 7 it says, Then came the day of unleavened bread, when the Passover must be killed. And he sent Peter and John, saying, Go and prepare us the Passover, that we may eat. And they said unto him, Where wilt thou that we prepare? And he said unto them, Behold, when ye are entered into the city, there shall a man meet you bearing a pitcher of water. Follow him into the house where he entereth in. And ye shall say unto the good man man of the house, The master saith unto thee, Where is the guest chamber where I shall eat the Passover 
with my disciples. And he shall show you a large upper room furnished, there make ready. And then it goes on to say, and they went and found as he had said unto them, and they made ready the Passover. And so as we look at this passage of scripture, and we'll go back to John chapter 13 in just a moment, but as we look at this passage of scripture, Jesus is looking at the disciples, he looks at Peter and John, he says, go get this thing ready, we're going to have the Passover, and, and, and they have came to this place, and they knew this was about to take place, and Jesus tells them to go, and they ask, well, where in the world are we going to go? We don't know, where are we going to have this? He says, go follow this man, he will lead you to where we'll take where the Passover will take place. And one of the things that I really wanted to do today is I wanted to kind of talk a little bit about some of the mindset of Jesus going into this Last Supper, this Passover. Because this is one of the things to me that really just, it makes and it brings it home so much more clear to me, even the greatest of humility and servitude that Christ had for these men. And so as we look at this idea, Jesus looks at the men and he says, go. Go and find this place. Go find the place where we're going to have the Passover. You're going to see the man. He's going to take you up. And and I'm going to kind of just share with you, I guess, some of the the history, so to speak, I guess you could say, of the Last Supper and really kind of how this took place. And some of this, I'm just going to read some notes, but as we look at some of the historical things that went into, I guess it would be historical or rituals that the the Jewish culture would do, they went into a city, they found this man that would take them up to an upper room. And basically, as we look at this, it it makes reference to being a a large upper room. And as I was doing my study, there were different sizes of upper rooms. And basically what an upper room is, is what we would kind of look at as a hotel. For today's terms, I'm going to use hotel. This is a place, it says guest chamber, where people would go because they had these different feasts that took place all the time, where they would go where they could bring a family or whatever it would be, the people that they were with, and they could go to an upper room or they could go to this guest chamber that would be large enough for their group of people to celebrate the different feasts that the Jewish culture would have. And so they go to this one particularly, they called it a a large upper room, and it says that it was furnished. And what that meant was, basically, it was furnished. There was a bed, there was tables, all of those things. But this particular table, because it was a large upper room, would have been the table in a form of like a U. And I thought about putting a couple tables out on the ground just to give us a visual of it, but basically it would be in the form of a U. I know we look at the paintings and a lot of the drawings today, and it's got the big table and Jesus is sitting in the middle, and then you've got all the people out. Well, that's not how they did that. They sat in a U-shaped. And not only this, they didn't sit upright. So they didn't just, it wasn't a table with all kinds of chairs laid around it where they would sit and, and Jesus, where we would do it today, Jesus would sit in the middle and then all the others so they could see each other. It was a what they called a reclining table. 
So they would lay down and they would eat of the Passover meal. And you might go, well, what, why are you giving us any of this history? Well, here's where kind of I want to go with this. As these men go up and they find this reclining table in the upper room, everything's furnished, historically, or what they would do, typically, they would eat at that table, and then they would clean up and they would sleep at that table. So in the guest chamber, that's what it was. It wasn't like your house where you have a living room and a dining room and all those things. It was all kind of in that place. And so as these guys, the disciples, lay down, there was an order as to how they would stand or how they would lie to eat this meal. And as a part of their culture, there would be one feast that they would do every year that was lying down. And so as they're doing this, for your left, my right, would be the, you would have the first person that would be sitting would be like the, the right-hand man, the number two go-to guy. And so for this, you would have John the Baptist, John. Then beside John would be the host, and the host of this particular feast was Jesus. And then beside that person would be the guest of honor. And the guest of honor in this particular meal was Judas Iscariot. And then from there you would go to the part that would be the, the, the I don't know, the flat, the, the, yeah, this part. It's not funny, come on. But so you go through there, there's nothing really mentioned as to how they are laid out. The only thing that's mentioned is the last person over here, which would be the least of all of them, was Peter. And if you go to other passages of Scripture regarding the Last Supper and the different things, it would talk about, what were they talking about? Who's the greatest? It would make sense why you would come in and you would argue over, I'm the greatest. I want to be the one that's sitting next to Jesus. I want to be the one sitting next to the, the, the host. or I want to be that person because there was an order of how it was. It was basically the greatest to the least. And how ironic that Peter is the least. But as we come into this, one of the things as it mentions in the passage of Scripture, and you will know who will be the one that betrays by when he says that he will give the sup and he will put that in his mouth. Again, when you go through and you study this, that was a ritual thing that they did. The host would dip the bread into a whether it would be a wine or the oil or whatever it was, it was a different, something different pertaining to that thing, that they would dip it and then they would feed it and place it in the mouth of the guest of honor. That was a cultural, ritualistic type of a thing. And so as we look at this idea, you've got, and they would lay, and I'm going to show you. They would lay, I'm going to go to bed if I take a little nap, sorry. They would lay with their left hand down, and I know everybody can't see, but they would lay with their left arm, shoulder down, and that's how they would sit, and that's how they would lay. And they would eat the meal that way. 
And so as we go through and we do some of the study and you go through and you read some of the different things and you think, remember where it talks about John laying his head upon the bosom? Well, as they were laying down, John would have been there. How do you only talk? What's the only way to speak to the person behind you? You would lean back and lay your head upon their chest and you would be able to speak to them. Think even further. Jesus Christ, the host, in order to talk to Judas Iscariot, in order to feed him what he was about to feed him, had to lay back, place his head upon his chest, and feed Judas Iscariot. And as we go through, I just, to me, as I stopped and I started to think about the idea of of them laying around and how they would communicate and how they would do that to think, Jesus knew what was about to take place with Judas. But yet he brought him into the room, not as the least of the people in the room, but he brought him into the room as his guest of honor. He held him at a high regard and he respected that, or maybe it wasn't that, I don't know, but Jesus took that, he fed him, to talk to him, he had to put his head upon his chest, I don't know about you, but the humility and the servitude of Jesus Christ at that moment was pretty incredible. So if you go with me to John chapter 13, I have just a few points and I'm not going to be long this morning, but John chapter 13, And I'm going to read a few passages of Scripture here. In John 13, it says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that His hour was come, that He should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved His own which were in the world, He loved them unto the end. And supper being ended, the devil having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray Him. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into His hands, and that He was come from God and went to God. He riseth from the supper, and laid aside his garments, and took a towel and girded himself. After that he poured water into a basin, and begun, or began to wash the disciples' feet, and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. Then cometh he to Simon Peter, and Peter saith unto him, Lord, dost thou wash my feet? Jesus answered and said unto him, What I do thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. Peter saith unto him, Thou shalt never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. Simon Peter saith unto him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus saith unto him, He that is washed needeth not save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit, and ye are clean, but not all. For he knew who should betray him, therefore said he, Ye are not all clean. So after he had washed their feet and had taken his garments and was set down again, he said unto them, Know ye what I have done to you? Ye call me Master and Lord, and ye say, Well, for so I am. If I then your Lord and Master have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that ye should do as I have done to you. Verily, verily, I say unto you, This servant is not greater than his Lord, Neither he that is sent greater than he that sent him. If ye know these things, happy are ye 
if ye do them. Father, I come to you this morning. And Lord, I pray that the truth of your word would speak truth into our lives. Father, I ask that you would use today's passage, use me as your vessel today. Lord, I pray that if there's one that sits in this room this morning that does not know you as Lord and Savior. Father, as we talk about, as we look into the idea of you being the ultimate servant. Lord, that those that may not know you would come to you. Father, I pray that you be with us now. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. So as we continue this morning and as we jump into the points, I want us to think about, again, going back to the Last Supper, Jesus knowing what He knew, looking at this passage of Scripture, I want us to to dive in here for just a few moments. The very first point I have is Jesus' hour had come. And you might think, well, that's kind of a weird point, that Jesus' hour had come. But here's what I want to think about, and here's why I put that down there. As we look at the passage of Scripture, and we look at John 13, and we just read in Luke chapter 22, it said there, now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that His hour was come, that He should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved His own, which were in the world, He loved them unto the end. And then in verse 2, And supper being ended, the devil having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Here's one of the things to me that just completely blows my mind. And as we start talking about service, and as we start talking about being a servant of Christ, think about the things that were heavy on Jesus' heart. Knowing, as he already said, the hour has come. Knowing at that moment that the devil had been placed. Knowing what was taking place. Yet Jesus served. If I were to ask you what's the hardest thing to do in serving Many of you would say to serve somebody that I don't like. To serve somebody that's done me wrong. To serve somebody that doesn't deserve me to serve them. Some of the hardest things for us as humans to do is to to put away things that we would look at as have been done wrong to us. And then if we even take that a step further to think that I'm supposed to serve those same people makes it very, very difficult. And as I look at this passage of Scripture and I began to to read and to study, one of the things that just jumped out at me was that thought there. Jesus' hour had already come. And if we were to go back through the Scriptures and go back through the Gospels, many times Jesus has said, my hour has not yet come. It's not my time yet. They're not going to come. They can't do anything to me. My hour has not yet come. But here he came and he sat and he laid down beside these men and he talked to these disciples and he he had the dinner knowing full well what was about to take place to him. Knowing full well that Judas was lying right beside him, right behind him. Knowing full well 
that these men would all betray him. But yet he served. And I think of my own life and I think of so many other things that me personally and how many times I have maybe avoided somebody or avoided a circumstance or avoided a situation because I just wasn't comfortable doing that with maybe that person in the presence or maybe it would be that I was actually supposed to serve that person and somehow, some way, some shape or form, I found myself a little bit busy somewhere else because that person makes me uncomfortable or because maybe they've done something wrong to me and I don't agree with it and it's really too hard just to, to serve those people. And we think of Jesus his whole entire life and how often Jesus served people. I think of Jesus serving the blind man. Maybe Jesus raising people from dead. Maybe Jesus looking up in a tree and saying, Zacchaeus, hey, I'm going to go to your house today. We're going to have dinner. As he served and showed love to a man who was a tax collector and took money after monies after monies after monies. Maybe it was Jesus going to the woman at the well. No way should Jesus be serving a a lady of that stature. Let alone talk to her, let alone, but to serve her. And here we see Jesus having known what was taking place, having known all these things, and here's what it comes back to me. We serve so many times with the idea that I have to serve, that I have to do these things so that other people look at me and think how good I am and that I'm okay, not for the fact of serving God. We serve so many times and we get to the place and we say, you know what, I'll never do that again because they hurt my feelings. I'll never do that again because of what somebody did to me. Jesus never looked and said, you know what? Judas, I'm not going to wash your feet. Judas, I'm going to just skip over you. Judas, Judas, I won't serve you, meal. I'm going to skip over you because you're about to betray me. Peter, you know what? You're going to deny me three times, so I'm not going to do this anymore. No, Jesus, knowing full well that the hour was come, that it was time, served each and every one of those people. And not only those 12, but he served every person that he ever came in contact with. And as I look at this and I think of Jesus being the ultimate servant. And I start thinking of my life as how I supposed to serve. How am I supposed to do this? I'm not supposed to serve you. I'm supposed to serve him. And in serving him, I have the opportunity to serve you. And I don't serve people. Have you ever thought of that? When you serve in the nursery, when you serve in whatever area you serve, when you go to work and you serve your co-workers, you don't serve the people that are around you. You serve an almighty God. And by serving an almighty God, I love people. That is what Jesus Christ did every day as he walked on this earth. He just loved people. You know, when you love God... You naturally love people. And when you love people, you naturally serve. Why? Because you love God. 
You know when it's the hardest to serve some of you? <laughs> it's not funny. You know when it's the hardest? When I have something wrong with me. You know when it's the hardest? When somebody may have done wrong, but we can't correct those things. Whatever it would be. It becomes difficult to just serve people. Jesus, though the hour had came, it didn't matter. Jesus had one goal and one goal only and one thought and one thought only. I have come to do the will of my Father. He was serving his Father, and in serving his Father, he was willing to get down to the level of every person that he came across and love them. And in loving his Father, he served them. When you and I serve, we don't serve people. We serve an Almighty God. And when we serve an Almighty God, we get the opportunity to be in service of those around us. And so just think of this this morning. When you go and you serve this week, next week, whatever your duty is of service, are you serving because it's what we're supposed to do as Christians and that's just the right thing to do? Can I promise you this? If you're serving because that's what we're supposed to do as Christians, burnout will soon happen and there will be no service in your life. Because we don't serve because that's what we're supposed to do as Christians. We serve because we love God. And in loving God, we naturally serve people. Point two. Jesus' is deliberate action. Jesus' is deliberate action. Have you ever thought of somebody that's just done wrong to you? And you think, they've actually thought that whole process through. That was calculated. It wasn't just flipping, oh, this came up and I just said the wrong thing, did the wrong thing. But somebody actually planned and calculated because they had to get in the car, they had to do whatever it was that they had to do, and when they got to you, it was like, wow, they, they thought this whole process through. You know, Jesus thought this whole process through. Here's Jesus with the disciples, knowing what's about to take place. With just Jesus and these disciples. And here's what he did. In verse 3, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, that he was come from God and went to God. Verse 4, he riseth up from supper. He, he, gets off, he gets up from off the table. He takes off the garment that he, that he had on, puts a towel around his waist, and girds himself is what it says in 4. Then he goes over and he grabs a water basin and begins to pour water into the basin, then taking it individually to each one of these disciples' feet. He had to process through all of those things. And you might go, well, that's just, okay. In order for him to wash somebody's feet, he had to do this. He had to do that. He had to get water. He had to get a rag. He had to do those things. But have you, have you ever tried to serve somebody that you didn't like? And then you had to think it through? It's not easy. 
but he was deliberate in every one of his actions. There was a step, there was a process, there was everything that was taking place. He had to do that. Think of some of the symbolism. He was washing clean the dirty feet of Judas, which would not be ever washed clean. Yet the pain and the agony of Jesus' feet that would be nailed to the cross. Taking it upon himself to do the act of a slave or a servant by getting on his knees to serve these men. I don't know if Jesus went to each one of them and got on his knees and I don't know if he looked them in in their eyes. It doesn't record what was said. I don't know if they all kind of looked at Jesus and said, why are you doing that? What are you doing? We don't know. We don't know the whole story of that. But Jesus would get to every one of those people, those disciples, and would wash their feet. Jesus, nothing is recorded up until the point of Peter. And Peter, like normal, is the only one that says anything. And he looks at Jesus and he says, you won't wash my feet. Jesus quickly comes back to him and makes the reference, oh, I'll wash your feet or you have nothing to do with me. And Peter's like, oh, (laughs) in that regards, hey, wash all of me. Give me a bath is what that means. And Jesus makes reference and he says, basically you're already clean. I don't need to wash you from head to toe. And he, as we keep kind of going through this, one of the, the things that I came across in my study made reference to this and it wasn't a 100% factual statement that was, but it was made reference to. If you think about it, your feet will be in contact with the dust of the ground, the garbage and the filth, and they will need cleaned on a regular basis. You and I in our Christian lives, if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you are, you are cleansed. You've been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Just like you and I have to bathe and keep clean on a hopefully daily basis. Jesus makes reference, I don't need to wash your body. You already know. He goes, I'm going to wash your feet though because your feet are going to go every day, all day long. They're going to need cleansing because everywhere your feet go, you go. You may go to a place that's not clean. You may go over here. You may go. We need to constantly keep our feet clean. We need to constantly be cleansed by the Word of God. And again, as I said, that's not, it's more of a a symbolic thought in this passage of Scripture. But when we look at this idea, we must constantly, always be keeping our feet clean as we travel to and from wherever it is that we're going. Jesus deliberately served these men. He deliberately took off the garment and wrapped himself. He deliberately poured the water into the basin. He deliberately got on his knees to wash their feet. He deliberately went to the cross. He deliberately gave his blood that washes you and me clean. 
Why? Out of love to his father. Why? Because he came to do the will of his father. Why? In that he loved him, he loved you and me. And the only thing that could keep us clean, could cleanse us, could make us righteous is what? The blood of Jesus Christ. He was deliberate in every one of his actions. And finally, Jesus' example. In verse number 15, For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Verily I say unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord, neither he that is sent greater than he that sent him. If ye know these things, happy are ye if ye do them. Why do we serve one another? Why should we serve one another? If we were to look in the one of the, the, the first line of our vision statement that I mentioned a couple work weeks ago was a family of believers incurred, growing in the Word of God daily and encouraging one another, serving one another, loving one another. Why? Because we were given the perfect example and we were told to serve one another. In the lowliest of things, We were told to serve one another. Who washed the people's feet when they went to an upper room? When you walked into a house, who washed the feet? The servant, the slave. When we look at the table, we see John and we see Jesus and we see Judas and the others. And we go all the way to the end and we see Peter. You know who should have washed the feet that day? Peter, who was sitting at the end because there was no slave to wash the feet. Jesus or Peter should have got down and Peter should have cleaned the feet of the others. At that, can you imagine Jesus Christ, the one that they all said was God, the one that they all proclaimed and, and said he was who he said he was. He mentioned that at the beginning. You say that I am And you are right. You say that I am Lord. You say as you should because I am. In verse 13, you call me Master and Lord and you say well for so I am. And so here he is. And he gets up and he takes off the garment and he wraps himself and he girds himself with the towel. and, And he goes to each one of those disciples' feet and he begins to wash each one of those feet. Taking off the sandals and washing those feet taking off the sandal and washing the feet, then going to the next one, taking off Judas's sandals, washing his feet. And all the way around he goes. And he says, I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Last week we talked about Jesus humbling himself to the point of the cross. You know, because he was so humbled to leave heaven, to come to earth, he humbled himself to the point of a slave, to the point of a servant, that he would bow his knees, that he would get down and he would get his hands a little bit dirty on someone's feet and wash their feet. 
While you and I, while others around him were angry, while others around him, well, I can't do that. That person is this, and that person's done that, and that person's done that. Jesus stood, and he got on his knees, and before Judas, the man that was about to betray him, that would send him to the cross, Jesus washed his feet and said, Judas, I love you. That's a humbling thought to me. Because there's people in my life that I've passed over and I've thought, you know what? I don't really want to serve those people. They've done me wrong. Many times I could stand and I could justify myself because of somebody doing something to me. And I could say, well, they should never have done that. And it's wrong that they did that. Jesus didn't care. He got on his knees and he washed those feet of those men. And he washed the feet of every single one of us. As he served he continues to serve. Listen, church. As we begin to wrap up this sermon this morning. We'll partake of the elements here in just a moment. I just wanted to... Allow us to see the picture of how they would have laid and how they would have sat and where they would have sat. And then to think of Jesus laying his head back on Judas's chest or John laying his head back on Judas's chest and Jesus already knowing what was taking place and what was about to take place. It says in 13, ye call me Master and Lord. Literally, it says, basically, you call me a teacher and owner. You call me teacher and owner. And that's correct. It should be so personal to us. We get an opportunity to serve our Lord. To serve the our owner, and I know that's foreign in the day's age in which we live, but Lord is owner. And I get an opportunity to love and to serve Him. And you and I get an opportunity to do that. And not only that, but we get blessed with the opportunity to do that to each other. Let me ask you this morning as I wrap up. Do you serve because you love God? Or do you serve because you want others to see you serve? Do you serve because you just love God and you're not serving for any other reason but genuinely I just love God? In doing that, we will never see burnout. In doing that, we will never go, well, do you know what I did? In doing that, none of that takes place because it's genuine. My heart to God, I'm just serving you, God. I just want to love you, God. It doesn't matter if it's a toilet. It doesn't matter if it's a person who's done me wrong. It doesn't matter. God, I just want to love you. And in loving you, I'm serving others and all that are around us. That's what I'm called to do. That's what you're called to do. Love God because He first loved us. When I love God, I'll serve Him. Not because it puts me up on a pedestal, 
not because others think I'm great, not because of any of that, because I just love God. And that's okay. Guess what? In that, there's going to be Judases that want to throw you under the bus. And in that, there's going to be Peters who deny you. And in that, there's going to be others who, when they watch you being arrested, flee. And in that, while you go and pray, someone's going to fall asleep and not have your back the way you thought that they had your back. And in that, people are going to hurt you. But you don't do it for the people. You do it for an almighty God. And that's why we do it. I can follow the leader because he is the ultimate servant. Every head bowed, every eye closed this morning. Thank you for worshiping with us here at Oasis Online. If this message was an encouragement to you, would you send me an email and let me know at pastor at obclv.org. Before you go, go check us out at oasisbaptistchurch.org. And if we can be of any help to you or an encouragement to you, please let us know. Thank you so much for listening and have a great day.